Hello and welcome to the Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rhodes. On today's episode, surrendering our will and how doing so empowers us to walk in prophetic promises, the dangers of having singular headship over a local church, and does the Father have an indictment against the different models of doing church? Peter DeWitt is the lead pastor of Agathos Church in Columbus, Ohio. He has a background in education, having served first as a science teacher, then as an administrator, and now as a consultant. His wife, Megan, led him to the Lord while they were both in college at The Ohio State University, and they now have four boys. As a pastor, consultant, and resource creator, Peter is called to assist in mobilizing ministers in various spheres of culture through kingdom-focused mentorship perspective, and articulation. He also co-authored a powerful book called The Surrendered Will with Danny Ortiz that explores how we surrender our will like Jesus did in the garden. I I say this every time, but I'm so excited to bring you this conversation. This is one I was looking, to, looking forward to for a while. Peter and I uh, go back uh, about a decade um, in, in friendship. We never knew each other super well. Uh, but actually, his church is one of the first churches I went to when I was Spirit-filled. Uh, I had an encounter with, with Holy Spirit, ended up with some friends uh, who went to the, went to his church, and he was an assistant pastor there at the time, I believe, and um, and got to go see him and, and, and spend some time around him. Uh, I've been very impressed by his heart towards the Lord, his heart towards the future of the church, where things are going. And uh, and he actually reached out. We talk about it a little bit in this episode, but he reached out with the book that they had written. And I'm telling you, this book was a prophetic word uh, to, to me and my family in season uh, when he reached out just to send me his book uh, and asked me if I'd be willing to read it and, and give him any feedback. And uh, I loved it. it. I've recommended it so many times. Uh, even on another podcast, I've recommended it. It's called The Surrendered Will. So I'm excited because Peter is a deep well, and I think you're really going to enjoy uh, hearing from him. So if this podcast has impacted you in any way, uh, please please continue to share the podcast, get it out there, get get the word out there, and, uh, and share it with your friends, share it on social media, but also leave us a review. So on Spotify now, you can leave reviews. On Apple Podcasts, you can leave reviews, and uh, that helps us come up higher in the search history. Also, this is our first video podcast. If everything goes well, uh, you should be able to watch this on Spotify, on the Spotify app uh, as our first video podcast, and things are only going to get better from here. So if you want to support what we're doing in that way and help us out financially, you can you can support by going to firemovement.com slash support. There you can give a one-time or monthly gift. And I'm telling you, there's some great stuff ahead. Uh, I'm, I've got a lot, of, a lot of things planned and a lot of things I'm going after to make this podcast uh, even greater, to bring on greater guests. So if you want to be a part of that, you can give. That's firemovement.com slash support. Uh, well... Let's jump into our podcast after a quick sponsor segment. Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet. Religion is not okay with Jesus the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one. He doesn't just have good teachings. He is the, the breaker of bondage. He will transform you. But you got to go after knowing him more. He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth your time. 
He's worth your life. And there's, there's nothing, this, this city, this nation, the nations of the world are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people. They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? If the king of the universe and all of his goodness, all of his backing, if all of heaven is for you and standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? We could, we could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly and you don't let anything else stop you, and if you'll, if you'll align yourself with who you are as a son or daughter of God, there is nothing that can stop you. This is the Fire Podcast. Well, I'm here with my friend Peter DeWitt. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm I'm so happy to have you on. Um, this is this has been one I've I've been pretty excited about. Um, I've told other people about how much I wanted to record this podcast. So uh, some some people have heard your name quite a few times. <laughs> um, but this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm so you guys have heard a little bit of an introduction about who Peter is. Um, Man, he's he's such a deep well, and I I, I really believe he carries uh, a, a lot of a lot of language and a lot of wisdom for the days ahead, um, and and the approach and how we approach the days ahead. So, yeah, once again, just thank you for being on. Oh, yeah, my pleasure, and um, yeah, I so appreciate our friendship. Love your heart for Jesus, and uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. I've really been looking forward to it. Yeah. So um, I always ask my guests, and I, I told you I'd do this, but uh, so how do we know each other? Do you, do you remember how we met? Yeah, we were, we were just just reflecting on this. I think probably 10 or 12 years ago, you wanted to do like a prophetic evening uh, with our friend Ryan Gunnarsson. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I think our church hosted it. And so we met and, and did that. And uh, since then, we've I feel like we've been sort of like Facebook friend type. Um, and I've always just appreciated uh, who you are, your heart for God, um, what God shows you, um, you know, your capacity for sort of thought and understanding and all of that of what God's doing in the season. And, and, uh, just this last season, we've been getting reconnected and our conversations have been so dynamic. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just been really fun to get reconnected in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So we were doing, uh, um, one encounters, I think what it was called and that was forever ago. And then I also remember at one point, cause I, I like, early early days like when i got filled with holy spirit and my whole life fell apart i ended up living with ryan gunderson and anthony fowler and oh yes anthony yeah and uh i remember going to going to church with them and that was like yeah the first, okay the first church i went to in columbus after being spirit filled um really okay i remember that's awesome yeah i loved it because it was it was so different than it what i had like really experienced growing up and that sort yeah. of thing and um i just remember feeling god there uh so yeah, I'm thankful for those. Well, I think it's in, yeah, it's interesting. Our first pastor um, had an open vision before he started the church about twenty years ago, of a church on every corner. Hmm. And little did I know that there was sort of like this. You know how prophetic things are; they sort of concede something. And there's something of like almost a decentralized or mobilized church that I think that he was seeing back then. And uh, you know, I'm still exploring to this day. So. That's fun that there's been that connection, you know, that uh, that that was the first experience you had as a spirit filled believer. And and uh, so, yeah, and here we are now. Yeah, it's amazing. I also remember being in your house one time. 
I think Ryan was dropping something off or something, and I gave you a prophetic yeah. word, and I don't, I don't even know what it was or if it came true. I might be a false prophet, but um. <laughs> <laughs> I know you aren't. <laughs> I'm vaguely recalling that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you reached out to me. Um, you know, we every once in a while you'd comment on stuff on Facebook, or I'd comment on your yeah, things, yep. like statuses and things exactly. like that. But you reached out, and because you wrote a book, which I mean, we, yes. we can get into this on the front end if you want, um, but. You actually ha- have a copy here so someone can see it. Yeah, I do. Surrendered I do. Will. Yeah, mine too. Oh, look at you. <laughs> um, Mirroring copies. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to get a screenshot of that and throw it up. Uh, and I, I posted about this, and I had a lot of, uh, a lot, like I had a handful of people that just purchased it when I posted it, and I got such great feedback even from them of just like how, how impacted they were by the book. Um, oh, that's awesome. And so... Thank you, Lord. I think you were, you're hitting a topic that... Um, I mean, you said it yourself. You don't hear a whole, a whole lot of people talk. You hear a lot of people talk about the the, the soul. Um, or, or what do you say? A lot of people talk about the body. The, a lot of people talk about the spirit. But not a lot of people talk about the will. Is that? Yeah. A lot of people talk about. So the soul is your mind, will, and emotions. And as born-again believers, we have a totally, you know, our spirit's perfect. And it's the incorruptible seed living on the inside of us. But the soul, the mind, will, and the emotions, we talk a lot about the mind be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, Romans twelve two, and we talk about emotions. You know, we don't want to be led by our emotions. we got to harness our emotions in your anger. Don't sin. But I realized, I'm like, I have never heard a teaching on the will. Hmm. And uh, my friend Danny Ortiz and I started getting some revelation around the will. And, and this book came out of that, you know, not my will, but yours be done. And so it's just this construct of, uh, the subtitle is an invitation back to the garden, you know, and so it's like you have to get back to the Garden of Eden and walking with God in that measure of intimacy. We have to go through the Garden of Gethsemane uh, where we where we pray the prayer of surrender like our Savior had to pray, you know, not my will, but yours be done. So it's been a fascinating study and we've been hearing really some tremendous feedback about it as well. What I love is that we had no clue how to write this book. Um and there was an element of it that, you know, it's in a way you can't teach someone to surrender your, their will. So we were like, how do you do this? You know, and so we really just went with the anointing as we wrote it. Like if, if the hand of the Lord was heavy upon us, we figured that was, <laughs> you know, how to do it. And, and he was faithful. Every chapter was like that, you know, as, as we wrote it. Um, but what's we've heard one piece of feedback from you know, on Amazon, someone left a review saying, boy, if you want a book that just helps you understand the scriptures so simply, this is it. And we're like, okay, great. That's awesome. And then by the other hand, we have leaders or someone who's a pastor writing like, I thought this was going to be a quick read, but I had to put it down like constantly to pray through what you had written. This is really deep. Hmm. It's like that has to be Holy Spirit causing a book to one reader to make the scriptures very simple and to another more seasoned believer to be like, this is deep waters and really wow. is taking me a while to wade through it with Holy Spirit. So we're getting some really neat feedback like that. Um, we've even gotten feedback from one person that, that, that said that called it a philosophy book and how much they loved it as a philosophy book. We're like, praise God, that's awesome. Like receive it how you need to receive it, you know? Yeah. And so we're just getting, we're getting sort of a, a great breath of feedback about it. Yeah. I, I, it really impacted me. I think it actually gave us, so you, you reached out and just said, Hey, what's your address? I'd love to yeah. send you a copy. And you actually sent me two copies and I gave one to a new believer as well. Um, Come on. And, uh, 
yeah, I mean that that's how we got reconnected, and I was it it was a word for our season. Um, that's awesome because you, know, you talk in the book. Um, I, I I was looking over some screenshots I have here, but you talk about a lot of times people find their passion, but they don't find their surrender, and mm. um, or they're looking for their passion and they haven't found their surrender. And uh, I just felt like we had. In moving out here and stuff, we had so so much uh, of the prophetic and God's going to do all these great things and all these things. And then God's just like, will you surrender? Will you like surrender mm. your way of what that's going to look like? Will you lay it all down? Will you, you know, uh, yeah. it's the whole not my will, but yours be done. And your your book just began to give us language and even some people out here with us. And man, I'm so thankful for it. So I don't, uh, I don't think I've ever promoted a book on the podcast, but this one is one that everyone should get for sure. And I, Oh wow. That's an honor. Yeah. Actually. And, and the, um, the first three people who DM me on Instagram, I'll, I'll buy you the book. Um, but send me your address and I'll, I'll send it to you for the first three. Wow. People. Uh, cause yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. Wow. Uh, if I can just say this, the, um, <clears throat> you know, what's interesting. It's, it's so fascinating where you're talking about, we found our, we're forever searching for our passion sometimes, but have we found our surrender? Mm. And um, and there, there's something about that. You know, we say in the book that just because you have the revelation, just because you have the prophetic word, doesn't mean that you're going to actually walk in it. I mean, Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified. He, all these scriptures throughout the Gospels, he's like, I'm going to be raised up, meaning crucified. I'm going to be t- crucified. I'm going to be crucified in Jerusalem, you know, in three days, I'll raise again, you know, the elders and the chief priests are going to do this to me. Like he knew all of that. Our savior knew prophetically exactly what was going to happen to him. And yet he still needed to pray three times to surrender his will to God. And I think that it's like, man, and, and, and the prophetic words test us, you know, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. I feel like I'm prophesying to someone basically right now, the, the word of the Lord tests us. And just because you've had the word of the Lord, you know, just because you see the cup doesn't mean you're going to drink the cup. You know, Jesus asked John and James, like, can you drink this cup? They're like, oh yeah, we can drink it, you know? And Peter's the one that gets the best revelation that had ever been given to man in Matthew 16. And he says, you're the Christ. And within just a few verses, Jesus is having to tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. And so just because we have the prophetic word, just because we have the revelation doesn't mean that we're going to walk into it. In order to walk into it, we're going to have to surrender. And in God's upside down economy, which is so powerful, it's like, what's the path forward? You know, if you want to have action, if you want to move into the future, you know, if you want to see the church move into its future, you would think like, well, then you got to move. And I would propose that actually the kingdom process to forward movement, particularly trend setting forward movement or moving into the new is not actually action primarily it's surrender. Mm. The first step is surrender. So Jesus surrendered his will at Gethsemane, but then he walked out that surrender the next day at Calvary. In Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, God works in us to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so I think that, that we're in this season as the body of Christ where God's mobilizing some things and wanting to move some things forward. But it's so essential that we understand the pathway to forward uh, goes through the Garden of Gethsemane. It goes through the surrender. Mm. It's it, first he works in our will, and then the doing becomes easy. Yeah, man, that's so good. I can feel God <laughs> um, as you're sharing all that. Uh, yeah, and I th- I think a big part of it is when you 
when when you're called when you get that that prophetic word i i've i've had this conversation with a few different people because you see this in like the life of joseph is such a good example Mm -hmm. of this where it's like he gets this amazing these amazing dreams you know these two dreams about uh essentially his family bowing down to him scripture doesn't even say that he's the one who interprets them his family has a gift of Mm -hmm. interpretation they hear the dream and they go Mm. oh what you think we're gonna bow down to you and he's mm. excited about these dreams. But the then he goes through all the things he goes through. And at the end, when the dream is actually being fulfilled, the thing that he was excited about isn't the point. <laughs> and so, like, what he saw was oh his, his family bowing down to him. But the point of, of his destiny wasn't for his family to bow down. The f- point of his destiny was for him to save his family, to save the known world from famine. Uh, by the journey that God took him on and putting him in that position. And so I think so many times, like, man, this is where the will piece comes in. I think one of the biggest frustrations in prophetic culture is, like, we don't see fulfillment of words a lot of times. And I think it comes Mm -hmm. down to exactly what this book talks about, is, like, we have in our mind what it looks like and how great Mm -hmm. it's going to be, and it's going to be comfortable, it's going to be great, everything's going to be awesome, everyone's going to love us, there's going to be so much favor and blessing, you Mm -hmm. know? And then you just, then you start to step into it, and it looks like you failed, and it looks like Mm -hmm. going through hell, and it looks like humility, and the, you know, as Heidi Baker would always say, the door's through the floor, and it, Mm. and by the time you even get to the place, uh, I'll say this, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you speak because it's about you, but like even, even recently no, this is awesome. I, I was sharing with somebody like some of the things that are beginning to happen now with us here in Seattle. And I said, you know, if you would have spoke to me three years ago, I would have been excited because God spoke to us about this movement and like what he was going to mm-hmm. do with it. And I would have been excited yeah. about leading that. And now I find myself, I've been so broken and beaten down and, um, humbled both of my own doing and God's doing mm-hmm. um, in so many ways that it's like now the thing I'm excited about is the people and like I'm just like mm. I just want to love the people he's given me and I don't I ultimately yeah. don't care about the other stuff he's opening up the doors of yes. favor and all that and so it's like I, I think so many times we, we choose our will over his and we don't see the fulfillment mm. because we hold on to the comfort and our idea of what it looks like and and mm. Jesus very much could have done that he could have he could have yes. chosen i'm sure there's another way i could just march into jerusalem yeah. and just be a, a literal natural he could have done that yeah. but it wouldn't have, have achieved the will of the father it wouldn't have saved humanity mm. wow uh that is so good it's interesting because um i got so many so many thoughts going in my head from what what you just said you know um the will you could think of the will as your why and um What's often happened in prophetic culture is prophetic words have been tainted by ambition. Mm. And we've actually created cultures at times of ambition. This is nothing is of this is critical, but you know, if I have ambition in my heart, then certain words sound great to me and other words don't sound great to me. And I might even prophesy out of ambition to someone else. And if they have ambition, then that sounds good to them too. And the reality is it's so power. It's so powerful that we have, um, that we have, the word of faith, you know, if I can just speak to that whole construct in the body of Christ, we have the word of faith, you know, be thou removed and cast into the sea. If you don't doubt in your heart, mm-hmm. you know, Mark 11, and that's absolutely scriptural. You know, you have not cause you ask not, um, you know, in, in James chapter four, but James four does continue. He says you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Mm. 
And so all of a sudden now what we have in James 4 is we're coupling the construct of the word of faith with the surrendered will. Because your passions are actually what are, what are driving your will, and your will is what you govern all of your actions according to. And, and Ephesians 1 spells that out. But what's interesting about that is that therefore we have to delight ourselves in the Lord in order for him to give us the desires of our heart. And sometimes when God starts to work in our will, we have this prophetic word and we don't realize what's going on because we think it's just about the word and not realizing God's also after our heart and how our heart relates to the word. And, you know, this, this is what's the often the missing piece, you know, and Peter got that word about Jesus being savior. But if you kind of track Peter's life through the gospels, it's profound because, you know, right after he gets that, Jesus says, Jesus goes in and prunes it. You know, Bill Johnson talks about all growth is rewarded with pruning. Mm. And so Peter says, you're the Christ. And right after that, Jesus says, so they're going to persecute me and kill me, all the famous people. And Jesus is like, far be it from you, God. You know, that didn't work with Peter's construct. Like Peter had this idea of being the best and is how I sort of see it in scripture. And so he, he the will, Peter's will was to be the best, was to be the lead, to be the best. And so when Jesus, when he gets, when he finds out that Jesus is the, is the Christ, he's like, this is awesome. Like, this is my buddy. This is my pal. Like, this is great news. And then Jesus comes in and says, so what that means is the famous people are going to kill me. And Peter's like, no, that's not going to be like, let me just rebuke you, Jesus. That's not what, that is not the storyline here. And then Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Mm. You know, and then right after that, Peter's on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's like, it's good we're here, you know. And, and so there's a storyline. And, and then Peter is telling Jesus, like, they might all depart from you, but not me. Like, not me. Like, everybody else might go, but not me. Don't you remember? I'm the best. Mm. And so then when you look at Jesus restoring Peter, next to the Sea of Galilee, it's this beautiful thing where Jesus, the perfect pastor, he was, you know, he, he wasn't just apostolic, he was also prophetic, he's pastor, you know, perfect pastor, all good pastoring comes from Christ, he distributed that gift to men. Yeah. And so Jesus, the perfect pastor, comes in and he's like, hey, Peter, do you really love me unconditionally more than all of these? And you see Jesus going right after the pastoral issue, and Peter's like, you know, I like you, you know, and that goes on. And Peter gets restored and launched into his ministry. He gets launched into his ministry of feed my sheep once his will gets surrendered about the issue that was at hand. Mm. And the issue that was at hand was him being best. And as he surrendered that, and he's like, look, you know, at best, I, li I like you. I like you as a friend. I can't claim anything else more than that. I'm not better than the other guys. None of that. And Jesus is like, I can work with that. Come on now, feed my sheep. Wow. And, and then it goes on, and then Peter still stumbles over that, and Jesus, so gracious, Peter's like, what about this guy speaking to John, you know? And Jesus like, Peter, remember? <laughs> if I will that he followed, if he, he has this, like, what's that to you? You follow me. And so we've got these bookends of the gospel for Peter. You've got Matthew 4 or whatever it is, where it's like he calls Peter and says, follow me. And then you've got John 21, where he's still telling Peter the same message, follow me. And by Acts 2, now Peter is a leading voice in seeing 3,000 people come to Christ. And so the call was the same, but the will had to be processed in order for him to walk into his calling effectively. Wow. That's so good. It's a random thought, uh, but it's interesting because what you're, what you're talking about, about him being the best and that being like kind of his stumbling block in his heart, that's what the, the, not to attack the Catholic Church, but that's what they see him as the first pope. 
and put him as the best. Mm-hmm. It's like even as that's interesting. Even humanity has kind of embraced his ambition, yeah. like you were talking about. Yes, yes. But I think church history says he chose to be crucified upside down. Even, yeah. you know, um, because I it's it's like he had gotten that through his heart finally that that was not something that he needed to hold. And it's like you said something that's so powerful because oftentimes the thing is not the thing. The thing is not the thing. Like God will God will give you the word how you need to hear it so it's attractive enough for you to track it down. Mm-hmm. But often then you discover that then he starts to address your why and take that out. And so, you know, I'm in this fascinating season where for some years I feel like the Lord's been speaking to me about the construct of decentralized church and that sort of type of thing. But I can just say, and we don't need to get into that now, that is not the thing. Yeah. Decentralized church is not the, not the thing. Organic church is not the thing. But there is something in the Father's heart about those. And I think many of us are starting to hear in those veins, but I think a big, a big mandate for us in this season, those that are hearing and being led in those sorts of ways, is to figure out, but what is actually the thing? Because sometimes all that glitters initially in a word gets our attention, starts to draw us into a space, but there's a discovery process there where we really find the heart of the Father and what he's actually after. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, a mentor tell me recently, uh, I was kind of talking about some of what's happening and envision and all that and he said something really profound he said he said everything we're trained to do is the man of god carries the vision and invites other people into Mm -hmm. it to come serve the vision and he's like i'm not even saying that that's necessarily wrong i'm saying i think there's a better way and because i was struggling with i was like i wasn't getting this download of vision and everything i've been trained to do is carry like have a a profound vision that you invite people into that moves people's hearts and they you know, and he said, but that just puts you in a position where you're looking for people to fill roles. And yeah. uh, he said, he said, but you don't see that in the life of Jesus. What you see is him laying his, himself down for a group of people. And with men, wow. he didn't, he didn't go to them. Yeah. He said, I'll make you fishers and men, but he's, he's basically saying, I'm, I'm going to teach you a different way of doing life. And that intrigued them enough. Mm-hmm. He didn't say, Hey, we're going to build a church. It's going to, it's going to mm-hmm. go international. You're going to go down in the history books. Yeah. We're going to do this, this, and that. Like he didn't say that. He didn't say, you know, Peter, I'm going to set you up as an apostle and, and give you all mm-hmm. this. Like he just invited them in. And, um, and that's like, that really is the, is the prophetic. It's like it, it is, you're invited into a journey of forming, uh, of, mm-hmm. of, of pain, of cutting away, of mm-hmm. pruning all the things yeah. Uh, to where you become, you become the person that can stand in that day, and I, I think that that's. Mm. I mean, I you you've been a believer long enough. I'm sure you can attest to this, but you you see, like even looking back a few years, it's like, man, if you would have given me this, then I would then. have totally fumbled it or or destroyed yeah. myself or whatever. And I've just I've seen that over and over again in my life where the timing of God and that surrendering because my will would be now, my will is always yeah. immediate. I should be walking in it now. Yeah. I, I should be walking in crazy power. I should be speaking in state, yeah. you know, like it's always going to be now. I yeah. should have the, the big expensive house. I should be a million, you know, whatever. I should have a huge business. Um, but the, the, the wisdom of the Lord keeps us from that. And his will is different because his will is actually sustainability. And it's a, it's a, a people that looks like Jesus, not, not just has mm. the, the things of that he has, or not just has the things of the kingdom. Wow. So good. Um, it's like I hear two themes that you're talking about. I don't know which one to jump in, but I think that this, what's interesting is you talked about you're struggling with this idea of the man of God having the vision. And when I became lead pastor of our church about six years ago, 
um, maybe after I had pastored for about a year, um, my first pastor called me up and said, hey, I got a word for you. And he's had sort of pivotal prophetic words for me at certain junctures in life. So he said, hey, I've got a word for you. Let's go to lunch. So went to lunch at a little Italian place here in Columbus, street food sort of place. And he said, what's your vision for the church? That was the word. And I said, it's so funny that you ask because you know me, like I'm a vision guy. Like I've been pastor for a little more than a year, maybe a year and a half at that point. And vision comes to me in spades. You know, my background's in education as well as the church. And I've been a designer in the education space for some time. Vision comes to me easily. And I told him, I said, you know, I could go down to the Starbucks, um, you know, on the other end of the shopping center, get three napkins and spend an hour and come back to you with three different visions for the church. But if Mm -hmm. it's not God, I don't want it, you know. And I loved his response. He said, well, maybe in the next year you could get a vision. And it felt like there was grace on that. And a few months later, uh, my friend Brian Orm uh, did a Facebook post about, you know, the the largest taxi company in the world, um, you know, doesn't have any cars and the largest hotel chain doesn't own a building. He said, you know, the common themes, decentralization. And he asked, when might the church catch up? And uh, he did some Facebook lives about that afterwards. And they so resonated with me um, that I thought there's something to that. And around that time, the Lord began to speak to me about designing in the kingdom and he used this phrase with me starting mobilization not a movement and i i didn't know what the difference between those two words were fast forward to that summer and i got this you know about nine months after that word of like maybe you could have a vision in the next year i got this word uh from the lord that sort of just sank into my spirit one day of i want a church with no ministries just ministers and everything in me leapt with the joy of the Lord, like that felt like Holy Spirit, but my brain said, this cannot be scriptural. (laughs) Like, so I went through, I think the 137 uses of the word minister or ministry in the New Testament. And I was like, wait, nothing, nothing actually contradicts this. That's fascinating. Mm. And then my brother-in-law, who's a great question asker said, how's church going? And I was explaining this process to him. And I said, I bet the founder of Airbnb, I bet the founder of Uber felt crazy to say he wanted a taxi company with no cars. And here I, I'm wanting a church with no ministries, just ministers. And I'm like, oh, it's come full circle. Hmm. One of the things that the Lord has been showing me is that this has been creating, I, I'm not the only one with this sort of type of, of vision. You know, we've talked before, there's so many people that the Lord is speaking to down this, this vein. And it's almost disorienting, though, I'm finding for pastors, myself included, because it's like, yeah, but like, how do you then lead locally with this construct and if i can just speak to what i think the construct is is that it's not about one man having the vision and gathering up the people and the resources to be the workers that fill the roles to accomplish that vision yeah there's not anything wrong with that but it seems like there's a new type of thing that the lord's breathing on or a fresh type of thing at the very least that the lord's breathing on where it's really about the priesthood of all believers. It's about every believer being a minister. It's about them sort of finding their own vision in the kingdom. And it's about the apostles and prophets being a foundation, right? And a foundation means they're not the thing that's built. They're the the platform that things are built from that people get to stand on, which is different than perhaps the other construct where if I'm an apostle or prophet, I sort of build a structure and you come underneath it to hold it up for me. This would be more like being foundational to other people having a ministry, other people having a vision, other people having a call. But I think that we're really going to be struggling. We have been struggling with finding the language and finding the how. And I think that that's that's such a thing in this season 
of first of all just recognizing there's a shift on and I think that we're, we're, we're grappling with this sort of a shift and I think we're finding something that's in the heart of the Father and plainly you would know better than me but I feel like it's something in the pulse of the people God's children so many are really feeling mm-hmm. that there's something about this that's happening and um, you know and there's little diversionary things that are happening where, where some people are taking this sort of thing perhaps and they're ending up in, in you know some bitterness or you know, or deconstruction or, or any number of other things are saying that that whole wineskin of the traditional church is completely irrelevant or other judgments like that. But I think that there is something, you know, aside from some of those sorts of things, there is something here. And I think a lot of us are grappling with what does it look like? What does it look like to gather as a body of believers, but it not be about centralizing the ministry in one place necessarily, but instead equipping the believers for the works of ministry themselves? Yeah. Wow. I want to come back to deconstruction here at some point. Um, sure. Man, everything you just said is so good, um, and especially using Uber as an example. And um, I, So I didn't, I realized as you started talking, I was like, oh, I didn't complete the thought of uh, the mentor. His name's Brad McCoy. Some people listening will know who that is out in Pennsylvania. And um, Yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah, you, you, you might know of him. Um, if not, you should. <laughs> he's, he's amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he said, he said, he's like, you can actually allow God to send people that will begin to form the vision. And he said, start to pay attention to the commonalities between the people God's sending. So he was talking about like, basically God told him to make a church to reach the lost. And this is years ago. And so he was like, okay, so we're going to make a really cool edgy church with like a coffee shop. Like, and this is before even that was cool. Um, yeah. And that was his idea based on what God said, but that wasn't what God meant. And then God started to send prostitutes Mm. and street kids and all these people that he was like, Oh, like even that wouldn't work for them. And so the vision Mm. began to be, how do I steward the people God's sending and empower them? And, and so he's like, Mm. he's like, I think you should look at that. And so we're looking at that and we're going, okay, God's sending us business people, entrepreneurs, creatives. Like it's a very specific group of people and here in seattle like creatives and business people are or entrepreneurs are not typically separate like it's one in the same like they're the people who are doing stuff here they just do it and go for it and they turn into Mm. a way to make money and it's amazing there's not a whole lot of fear fear of failure uh, that i found yeah and so how cool and so we're like yeah so this is awesome so we've got these people with lots of um lots of creativity, what they're doing is amazing, lots of excellence. And, and then my thing is like, okay, so how do we steward them? And this is, this is how the vision's being born is like, how do we steward them and recognize they're going to be more impactful out there than getting somebody to a single service. And so yes. like, what if, what if our services quote unquote begin to be, let's just worship and, and get God in the room and make sure he feels yeah. glorified and worshiped and loved and in those environments, let him speak. Because as uh, Landon yeah. Shaw, Mercy Culture, he says everything's easy in the presence uh, of God. Mm. And so, like, so true. healing is easy. Hearing God's voice is easy. Prophecy is easy. It's all, it's all easy in his presence. So let's get his presence and in that place and empower them. Because, like, you know, one of the guys, he runs one of the best coffee shops in Seattle. And, uh, and a good friend and love the guy a lot. There's no reason, like traditional ministry vision would be okay come and do that in the church come and make a coffee shop for us 
you know, yeah. or the artist, like, oh, you're an artist, you're an amazing artist. Like, yeah. one of one of the girls is doing some high end stuff. I I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about what she's doing, but for one of the biggest organizations in the world, um, she got commissioned to do this amazing art piece that's totally Holy Spirit, and it's gonna be amazing when it comes out. Um, she shared Thank it, you, and I just started. I I wanted to cry just hearing about what she's doing because um, she's bringing the gospel into some amazing areas. Um, I but in the church we'd be like, okay, come do that and paint on on stage paint a mural yeah yeah, yeah or, or paint a mural paint you know paint the kids ministry some something you know and, it, yeah. and it's just like man it feels so backwards so i'm gonna throw a couple things out at you and i'm sure it'll spark some thoughts like um i simon sinek he uh he just he shared this recently he said the role of a leader is not to come with up with all the great ideas the role of a leader is to create an environment in which great ideas can happen and I think, mm. I think is, I think the apostolic, the difference between the pastoral and the apostolic, the pastoral brings everybody in and like, and it's good. And that's part of who they are. The apostolic wants to send everyone out and get, get them out mm-hmm. there. And I think if, if we can bring those two together, bring them in, help, help people heal up, get whole, but also empower mm-hmm. them that they don't have to go get a theology degree or something before they can go do the work. Like do the thing that God's put your hands to and see yourself as a missionary yes. out there, empower them to do that. Yes. The other thing was I just saw, I posted this video and I didn't know where this guy was going when I first started watching this. It was an Instagram reel and he was talking about sports. I don't know if you saw that I posted this, but he like, basically he was saying, you know, sports used to be a way of exercise, something you did with your friends, competitive, uh-huh. just having fun. And he's like, but now it's something we pay professionals to do so we can watch them do it. And, wow. and he said the same things happened in the church where it used to be the things yeah. that we were called to do now we just pay somebody else to do the things that we were called to do we pay the professionals yeah. and that's been like man i, I i've been teary-eyed this whole time because i can feel god uh, this happens every time i talk to you but i i just i feel like that's where we're at uh, in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and i i don't i don't even want to focus on attacking other other churches or models and i think god's using a lot of them but i think i think it's in the heart of god to empower the people of god again and help them recognize it's not about I even even talked to my wife. I was like, I don't see in scripture anywhere that it's build an organization and then call everyone that serving looks like come serve the organization. The closest thing mm-hmm. we see to that is, you know, you got Stephen and Philip who are like waiting tables. The deacons, and, yeah. yeah, but they're, they're taking care of the poor. They're doing the work of the gospel anyways. And uh, and that was in a very specific context where they were at, mm-hmm. where that was the apostles recognized like, hey, we actually need more we need a different focus. So we've got to put some people in this mm-hmm. position and fill this need. Yeah. It's not necessarily a prescriptive, like this is how it's always supposed to look is like have somebody in this mm-hmm. position. And, but we've got this idea and I believe serving is super important, but I was just reading at, uh, the, 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 uh, the last supper when Jesus like washes their feet and he says, do you understand what I just did for you? Mm. And he's like, I want you to do this for each other. And it's this idea of, of cleansing each other's feet. Mm. He's like, basically, you've been cleansed, but not all of you. Now he's clean. He talks about Judas. But it's like you still, you in day-to-day life, your feet get dirty, you, and, you need, yeah. and you need somebody to wash your feet. And that's our job is Come to on. do the dirty work, serve one another in that place, but then go back out in day-to-day life. Go back out, walk Come in on. the dust and all that. And then so then the body becomes this place that we, we empower each other. We worship Jesus. We, we realign yes. with why we, and this could be any model, like this can look like any model, of yep. church, but we come back together and we, we figure out why are we doing what we do, 
yeah. you know, surrender our will once again and then go out and yeah. do what he's called us to do. So, Come on. Oh, man, what you said about scent is so significant. Um, when the Lord was speaking to me about that a few years ago from Romans 10, you know, it says, you know, how can they believe if they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? Mm. And at that time, I was looking up that word sent, and it's actually apostelloed. So to be sent is to be apostelloed huh. in that context. And so um, one of the things, like you said, that apostolic models tend to create and the apostolic grace creates is sentness. And, you know, there's, there's, fun, there's fundamental questions. I had, a, I had a, um, you know, regarding this pay professional sort of thing, there's fundamental questions. And a lot of times we get way deep into the details of something, which is the natural process of, of gleaning revelation and understanding what God's speaking to. And, and, um, but then when things get clear, we come back to a place of having definition and, and, the, and the, the basic words start to take on a new meaning. And uh, this is why also a lot of times the devil will change words and culture because if you can change the meaning of words, you actually change the culture. Yeah. And so in wow. the church, there's a lot of times as well a process and a godly process over how we think of words, but there can also be a battle over words. But um, this idea of paying professionals, right? And so um, way back when I was getting my principal licensure for, teach, um, for school systems, I had a professor who is very prophetic um, I don't know if he was saved or not, but very, very prophetic. You know, the giftings of calling of God are irrevocable. And he had been in a school administration at a high level for decades. And he said the major question in education in the 70s was which students are going to learn. Hmm. And he said the next big question coming to education in the coming decade or so is what are students going to learn? And that's turned out to be very true. There's a, there's a major battle there. I don't know if everybody realizes that's what's going on in education yet or not, but that is the next major battle is what are students going to learn, or at least one of the next major battles. But what's interesting is this mirrors it in the church. When we ask which students are going to learn in education, it's sort of like, you know, this question in the church, who in the church is the minister? Which church members, which people in the body of Christ are going to minister, which students are going to learn, which people in the body of Christ are going to minister. And this question of what are students going to learn really deals with what's happening in the body of Christ next, which is where are people going to minister? So there's these two fundamental questions, which you're talking about in what you're exploring, which is, which is who are the ministers? You know, that's a really profound and important question. We all know that have been around at the Ephesians 4 teaching for quite some time that the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are for the equipping of the saints for the works of service. And I think we know that, but I don't know that we've structuralized that always yet. And I think that that's a lot of what we're exploring is how do we, how do we come into a place where the, the, you know, the idea of sort of paying professionals to do the work gives way to actually this is the call upon every believer's life the great commission is for every believer and every believer has a context in fact where that works best for them and so they not only have a call to minister but they also have a metron to minister within and i think that um, that's a lot of what we're discovering in this season and sometimes we don't realize just how um, entrenched we are in historical precedent so we're we're in a culture currently I don't say this disparagingly or negatively because I love the products that come out of it, but we're in an industrialized culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've been in an industrialized culture for many generations now. 
And you know, it used to be if you lived on the farm and you did eggs and you did your own butter and you maybe made your own cheese or you got your cheese from your next door neighbor if you happened to, they happened to be better at doing cheese and you traded grain with them for that. And you know, you built your own fences and made some of your own furniture unless maybe you got furniture from the guy down the street who's really, but there was a sort of an ownership of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, it's so easy to have other people own things for us, you know, like I, I don't even have to go to the grocery store. I can have the groceries delivered to me. You know, like this, this is a whole nother level of convenience. And oftentimes, without realizing it, we've come into this place of sort of a fragmented life um, where we, we so specialize in a certain part that, of course, you know, division of labor and span of control and these sorts of industrialization business concepts, become, they make a lot of sense to us almost because we're just used to them. But then we look at the Gospels and we're like, huh, I just don't see the place as a pastor of a church where it affords me the right to be the professional minister that insulates the body of Christ from needing to do the work of ministry in their own sphere. Yeah. And so then I need to grapple with that to say, why might I be doing some things that actually seem to be antithetical to them taking up their ministry? Not that everybody needs to have the same ministry, not that everybody needs to have the same magnitude of ministry, not everybody needs to be on stage, not everybody needs to be equipper of the saints for the works of service, but everybody has service to do. Mm -hmm. Everybody has ministry to do, and they have a context that that works best within. So I think that those are some major questions that are coming up, is how can people be sent, and also how can we break down the sort of the professional laity divide that's um, been built up often within the church space? Yeah. Those are big questions. I, because I even wonder. I had somebody say to me, they, they're they're in a tech company, and they said, I serve on Sunday and have to minister one way, and but there's such a separation between that and what ministry looks like in the rest of my life, and like mm. I have to like figure out a whole another way to learn. So my question then is, I, you know, how can we equip them better to do that? to do the thing that actually is six days a week, you know, and, and yeah. is not you know, one day a week. Because uh, mm. I, I, I mean, it's just so easy to, to, I think that there was a period of time that evangelism did look like bringing people to the church in the U.S. And that's, and that was good and it was, it was working and that's what God was using. Yeah. Um, and people would show up to Billy Graham crusades in the U.S. I would, you know, I, I, all of our stadium events now, you don't really have unbelievers showing up. Um, I'm sure some, mm -hmm. some end up getting pulled in and that sort of thing. But for the most part, it's not, you know, Billy Graham had thousands of people showing up who weren't even Christians just to come see what was going yeah. on. You know, it's just crazy just because he was like kind of a celebrity of his day. Um, yeah. We don't have that anymore. And actually like, uh, you know, if, if Seattle's uh, here on the West coast, I don't, I don't think a lot of people understand it. Like we have to be a little, a little bit more, um, um, not violent against this stuff, but almost like we're, we're struggling with postmodernism in, in a way and, and things that um, like speaking of education, like there's in the, one of the school districts here, there's a kid who identifies as a rabbit and there's been a memo mm -hmm. to all the teachers that they have to address this kid as a rabbit, as the animal. Hmm. Um, and you know, that that's coming. Where does the slope stop? Yeah, exactly. And like our, our school's, our schools here, like within minutes of my house, have transgender flags and there's trans kids running around everywhere and where their parents, you see the dysfunction of the parents and they're putting it on their kids. And, and it, it's like, 
we're the west coast we're the other end of the pendulum and so like as far mm-hmm. as we swing the the rest of the country will not quite end up there but we'll get pretty close but but we're coming along with you huh? yeah and uh and so if we can stop it at any point on the west coast or the east coast uh the middle middle american stuff is not going to go as far uh, at least that's the hope and you know so we're just we're seeing some crazy some crazy things out here um but yeah, anyways, I think it's so it's so important that we we learn how to teach. The believers can't just gather in the church anymore. Like that, mm-hmm. that can't be the thing. Is like hide in the church and and we're gonna have great. It's it's funny. I talked to Gerald Murphy when he was on, and we talked yeah. about the difference between uh, spirit filled like which I don't even really necessarily like that language anymore because I know other believers. You know, the marking of salvation is having Holy Spirit. So they yeah. they have Holy Spirit. They just haven't. You know, they don't move in the gifts, but the churches that believe in the gifts, the charismatic, Pentecostal, whatever, um, they don't grow. Those churches don't grow. And you're, you'll be really hard pressed to find a church that um, is a kind of Bethel stream uh, church, not not attacking Bethel, but that kind of church that grows. Yeah. And then you've got the other end of the spectrum where it's like these churches that don't talk about the gifts, seeker friendly, all those those sorts of things. And mm-hmm. but they do so much in their community. You know, a lot of it is outsourced mm-hmm. to, you know, paying people on staff. You've got your staff person sure. for homelessness and staff person for the food bank and you know, all that. But, like, they're doing more in their community than the people who actually know how to interact with Holy Spirit. <laughs> and that's, like, yes. it's so crazy to me. And if we can bring those two together and and really equip people. Um, Mercy Culture, they just did this. Uh, this is all fresh in my mind. They, they Will Ford just spoke at Mercy Culture. He did. Mm-hmm. They're going through the gifts of the spirit. And he was talking about words of knowledge and he was teaching about words of knowledge, but he was bringing up historical stories. And so he talked about George Washington Carver and the peanut or basically God invited George Washington Carver said, ask me about the peanut and I'll tell you what I, what I created it for. And wow. Um, and he said he would go to bed with a problem in mind, an impossible situation or a problem to solve. And he'd wake up the next morning with the answer and it would happen over mm. and over again. Or he, he, uh, he just he talked about person after person. Um, oh man, what's the the black lady that created hair products? Um, oh man, what's her name? I'm I'm blanking on her name. She became sorry, I don't know. Uh, basically, her hair was falling out, and a lot of the other um, black women around her, and I think this is while they were on the plantation still, and their hair was falling out, and she's like, God, what do I do about my hair? And uh, Madam C J Walker, that's who it is. Um, okay. And so she was like, what do I do about my hair? And God gave her a vision or a dream or something and talked about these certain berries and, and things in Africa that she used to use and hmm. that those would fix her hair. So she put in an order that took months to get there, but she ordered them from Africa to be shipped and ended up making hair products. Um, that And then she became the first female millionaire in the United States as a black wow. woman in those times. But it came from a word of knowledge. And so that, yes. that, that, like, I was talking to some of the people here, and I was like, what what would it look like as a body? We come together, we worship, but then we, like, hey, let's, let's for the next month, let's just really press into words of knowledge together in your spheres of influence. Mm-hmm. Let's ask Holy yep. Spirit and, and really lean into him to give us wisdom beyond what we know in the natural to do to yeah. do your business, to create an art in a way that's never been done before or that will, will reach yeah. people. and. Um, and then that way these, it becomes more of an equipping. So I'm just kind of yes. rambling at this yes. point. But. 
No, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, context is so important. And some of these skills um, that we have, you know, that we learn in church can feel different in a different context. And it's almost like um, believers need encouragement to know how they apply sort of in context, because sometimes in the, you know, um, plainly, if you can prophesy in the prayer line at church, there's a certain amount of, I call it atmospheric pressure that's not there to do that. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, you know, at your office place, that might be different. Um, or in a business meeting, that might be different. And it might be different because there's a resistance to it. It might be different because, you know, you have to learn to translate with wisdom uh, what you're giving. Or, or you have, but one you of have the, less faith in, in those environments. Like those environments. That might be the simplest way to say yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just have less faith. But one of the things I learned is that the word of the Lord proves too, true, Psalms 1830. And so I, I started to learn, uh, even in the marketplace, and especially in the marketplace, where it's like if God gave me a word, it's just as strong there as it would be in church. And I, I was experiencing that even when I was coaching um, and coaching educational things, I'll often feel the same anointing that comes on me as I'm coaching a teacher as I would preaching a sermon at church, uh, which is so awesome. And I think that, that you know, learning to flow with that and um, sometimes, you know, not giving credit to God for, for his, his word, but just, um, you know, just letting it be and paraphrasing it a bit. You know, but then also not being afraid to give credit to it. Sometimes they'll say something and people will be like, that is so good. And I'm like, well, it's Psalms 126. And they're like, I knew it was good, you know. Um, <laughs> or like I'll, I'll, speak, I'll speak to a group at a school and I get a standing ovation afterwards, you know, one time. And someone came up, where do you get that from? Where do you get that from? I said, well, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And Jesus speaks to me. And I was praying for this time. And I, gave, I told you guys what he told me, you know. And so like wow. finding, finding that balance of like how do you – how do you operate in that stuff? And it's like sometimes, one time I had a very hard word of knowledge, you know, in a school setting. It's like, what do, what do I do with that? And how do I communicate it? And how do I steward that? Mm. And, you know, the short answer is, you know, you need to learn to translate into the language of your context. So, for instance, in education, the, the language is always rooted in a value system. In education, the value system is understanding. In business, the, under, the value system um, is profit. And in government, the value system is, is policies, right? So if, if you've got a word of the Lord in the education space, usually people in education want to understand something. They're, they're students by nature. Yeah. You know, good teachers are good students. And so if you can take the word of the Lord and put it into a place of understanding so that you can connect the dots for people, now they've just received heavenly wisdom in a language that they can understand. You know, and business people are, are thinking in terms of profits. They're thinking in terms of bottom line. They're thinking in terms of growth. And, if, and you've experienced this, I'm sure, many times with the work you do. If you can help translate the word of the Lord that might be about culture in their business, but into the language of profit and how it'll produce growth, now they're all ears. And in government, if things basically end up being policies or not policies— you know, you're going to be, those people are going to be looking for how do I functionalize this in a terms of a policy? And so we can have the word of the Lord, but then we can ask him what would be the application that would be salient and relevant to that people group. And I think that, I think that the people that are best to coach some of that nuance and some of that master class are actually going to be contextual fivefold ministers. Mm. And I have this hunch that in this next season, what we're going to see is apostles and prophets evangelists, pastors, and teachers who are truly fivefold ministers, but their primary metron is not the church. 
their native metron is not the church space, not the church mountain. Their native metron is actually going to be education or government, etc. And they can help raise up and equip the saints for the works of service that are specific to those um, industries or spheres of influence. Yeah. Wow. The way you, you said contextualized fivefold. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that term. That's so good. Yeah. And I think that it's interesting because um, one time the Lord spoke to me this, and this might seem heretical, and I might not have the right language. It, might, it was more like an impression from the Lord. But a few years ago, he spoke to me. He said, you know, Paul didn't have the market cornered on a revelation of who Jesus Christ is or what, what walking with Jesus looks like. So in other words, Paul was so brilliant in how he expressed as a wise master builder Christ in him the hope of glory and preached that in a way that could establish the churches and all of this sort of thing. But Paul had a context. I mean, he grew up very Jewish and then he got called to the Gentiles, which is kind of funny that the, he grew up Jewish, but was called to the Gentiles, but he had a context. He knew who he was called to, and he was called specifically for the work of establishing churches. And of course, apostles are called for the work of establishing churches to this day. But that apostolic grace that was on Paul is also going to be on people for a different sort of context than just the establishing of churches in the way that we see the work that Paul did. And so I think that we're going to have to open our minds a little bit as to what the, what the apostolic grace looks like in some different industries and spheres, what the prophetic grace looks like in some different industries and spheres. It's still the, the prototype or the archetype is still for the equipping of the saints for the works of service. But it's going to be contextualized, I believe, for many people. And we're going to come into a place where I think we're going to also have the privilege of being built into by people with more specific experiential knowledge um, to teach us with than we've ever had before. And I think some of the podcasts and things like that that are going on where it's like, on one hand, we've reduced the number of sermons at our church because we're house churches every other week and we're down to, you know, we do 24 main churches a year. And people, we've done that for almost seven years now. People are not growing less. They're growing more. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, there's sort of less need to deliver all of the content through a Sunday service. But on the other hand, there's all of this sort of ancillary content, if that's the right word, or auxiliary content that's coming up that's going to be, I think, part of God's ecosystem of, of the very particular equipping of the saints for the works of service in this coming era. Hmm. Man, that's so good. Um, you know, I, I hadn't, uh, I've, I've processed this a little bit, and I actually haven't shared a lot on the podcast of what we're doing in Seattle or what's happening. Um, sure. We've purposely kept a lot of it private, which I've learned over the years is uh, a lot of times it's better to do stuff in secret <laughs> than uh, <laughs> make yourself enemies. Uh, yeah. Here's, here's my strategy right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the things that, like, this coffee shop I'm talking about, it's like, you know, talking about what, what that can look like, what church looks like out, out there. I, I've told my friend over and over again, I'm like, this is a coffee shop. Or not, not, mm -hmm. Yes, this is a coffee shop. This is a church. Um, mm -hmm. And he has seen so many people saved and so many people, you know, for a long time it was, um, he, he just like built this community and then he would kind of point mm -hmm. them and he still does. He points them to the church because he's part of another church. Um, but what happened is it's, it's kind of interesting is like we, we almost stumbled into this where God brought us together. Uh, it's a whole kind of supernatural story how we got connected, but, um, it, very similar to like in the book of acts where like you have the evangelists and this is, I, as I kind of process through some of the fivefold and stuff, uh, you know, one of the things I've noticed with evangelists is they've got this like 
uncanny ability to just go into any atmosphere and disrupt disrupt stuff and see God move. Mm-hmm. But then they like it can't end there, and so like a lot mm-hmm. you see them calling for the apostles, and yeah, um, and so I think that's really important. And this guy is like a true evangelist, and it's so yeah. it's so crazy because what God did is He started like forming this community of people that were all all you know coming to know Jesus or like. Um, finding finding the body and and connecting in a, in a deep way and then god kind of like brought our relationship together where i'm now building kind of the apostolic piece and helping like how do we really equip these people and th- yeah. they're all all amazing all going to you know do amazing things but when they do those amazing things are they going to know him are they are, mm-hmm. are they going to still love the lord like that's that's really mm-hmm. the question in my, in my heart and how i approach things is and i've told them that it's like my goal is that when you guys, because you're gonna, you're gonna be in those places, you're gonna be in the places of influence and all those things. Are you gonna love him when you're there? Come on, um, come on. And so it's like taking what he's doing and added the layers that he shouldn't have to worry about as an evangelist, and it's all happening centered around a coffee shop, uh, which yes. is pretty incredible. And then, and then we're taking people from there to like we're worshiping together in my house and and things like that. And so it's just I. I think I think not that that's the end all be all or, or the model, but like I think that's the kind of thing it's going to start to look like is things like that are going to happen where you're going to start to see fivefold, like you're saying, fivefold people in different contexts um, mm-hmm. than a traditional church, and and even yes. having a church, th- it fits almost every every definition you can find biblically of what a church is, but it's a coffee yes. shop, <laughs> and he's yes. and he's focused exactly. on coffee. It doesn't proclaim it's a church it's not even a christian coffee shop you know it's like yeah but people come they gather and it's it's where the people are yes it's interesting you say that we had a my friend ryan mccullough who's a assemblies of god missionary that was in germany then wales and is now working on european placements um for for uh the assemblies and they're you know just awesome interest in missionary work right now it's incredible but he was in just two weekends ago at our church and he was speaking to us. He became, when he was in Wales, kind of became an expert on St. Patrick. And St. Patrick, you know, was alive about 300 AD, 300 years or so after Christ. And he was born in Wales, it's believed, and then was actually abducted in his late teenage years to, and made a slave in Ireland. And he had a dream or vision one night, woke him up, said, go to the sea. And there was a Welsh ship there that brought him back out of slavery, back to Wales. And much to his family's um, chagrin, he wanted to go back to Ireland to take the gospel to those who had been his captors. And, um, but there was a seminary in town there and he had his, his dad and grandfather had been ministers. And so he had, he had this inroad at the seminary. Um, but the seminary was a Roman Catholic seminary and it was not, um, it was not favorable to him going back to Ireland. And the reason that it was not favorable is that apparently the sort of the missiology up into that point, which I learned from my friend Ryan is the study of how the church advances over time. Yeah. You know, the study of missions. Uh, I didn't know what that was before, but he said um, the missiology up into that point, the first 300 years was sort of like this, the Catholic church, Rome itself, Rome would go in and basically conquer a territory and Romanize it and take it out of being sort of barbaric and make it uh, Roman. Hmm. And after doing that, then they would share the gospel with them that they might be saved. So in other words, it was like a behave first gospel. And what what they didn't have a vision for Patrick going to Ireland because Ireland was so many different clans 
that there was no way that you could go conquer all of these different clans, all of these different kingdoms. So instead, what Patrick ended up doing is he took a small group of believers, I think 40 or 50 with him, and they go clan to clan, and they loved each other as believers so well and demonstrated the power of God, I think, so consistently that one clan would be saved. Then they'd go to the next clan, and the next clan would be saved. And we all know that what happened is not only did he raise something like 33 people from the dead, but also nearly, you know, a large portion of Ireland was brought to the Lord in his lifetime. And mm-hmm. But there's actually a typology there that my friend Ryan talks about where, where there, was, there was one view of the advancement of God's kingdom up until that point that no longer was going to take the church into a space of Ireland. Ryan's contention is we're in that same spot again as the church. Wow. You, the European church has already progressed towards a new space that the American church American culture is catching up to, and you're talking about the East and the West Coast, they're closer to where the European, almost a post-Christian culture, Mm -hmm. right? Secular culture is almost post-Christian. Whereas in the 50s in America, the culture was still Christian. Maybe everybody didn't go to church, but the culture was still ostensibly Christian. And because of that, you have Billy Graham come into that scene, and it's actually quite easy to gather people, it seems, on sort of a believe basis. So in other words, like, whereas the Romans conquered through a behave basis and advanced the church through a behave basis, the church for some time has been in a believe basis. In other words, here are the right things to believe, and people actually were even drawn to someone telling them the right things to believe, and that could be the gathering point, is believing the right things together. And you know on the West Coast that we're way past that. Yeah. You know, People in, in culture are not being drawn to an opportunity to come to an event to be told the right things to believe. In a postmodern culture, there's almost like it's almost anti um, anti that potentially, right? And so the last B that that Ryan, my friend Ryan talks about is is the belong function, mm-hmm. right? And that's basically what Patrick was doing is they were going there and loving each other. They'll know you're Christians by your love for one another. They'll go there loving each other so well and inviting people into a belonging experience within the body of Christ. It was contextual church. And um, and he, he contends that, that that might very well be a strategy moving forward. And I think that's the sort of thing that you're describing you can't get them into church, but they'll definitely come to a coffee shop. And here they have these felt needs, and you've got the power of God on the inside of you and the love of God residing in you to, to meet those felt needs in a way that they can then ask you, give me a reason for the hope that's within you. Yeah. Like, you know, and then you can do that with gentleness and respect. And so I think that this, this, this idea of, of a belonging basis through contextual church is something that there's a lot of life on. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the guys specifically... You made me think of he's actually the one I gave the gave your book to um, he when I came into the picture he had been a believer I think two months and he got saved at this coffee shop and he uh, he is technically Gen Z but he you know he's he's self-proclaimed it says he's older and uh, okay. and he's just never really had friends his whole life he's like I've always just been a loner mm. but then he would come into the coffee shop in the way that the way that not only my friend, but other people there. Cause like I said, they're a whole community. So like the ones that can work remotely, they're working from the coffee shop. And like, so he's just like wow. surrounded without even realizing it. He's coming there just to hang out and read. And he's surrounded by believers and all these people start treating him better. Uh, you know, than than he's ever been treated before. And it started, that's what got him asking questions. And he, he gave his life to Jesus because of that, because he belonged for the first time. And the, Oh, go on. There's some, uh, about 12 years ago in the school space, I was running a biomedical science program where students would do capstone research projects with like 
doctors and nurses and researchers and engineers in the biomedical science space. And one day I was talking on a panel and to a bunch of biomedical science professionals. And what I was talking about was basically pitching this idea that has caught some wind in education, which is not all of teaching and learning has to happen inside of a school, of course. Mm -hmm. And why do we recreate the armatures and the structures that pre-exist in the community inside of the school building? So for instance, like, yes, we need to have a chemistry lab in a high school, but you do not need to have high, high, high tech chemistry lab for the two students that'll actually utilize that type of chemistry lab. You can send them out to partner with someone who's actually an expert in using that sort of lab and already has that lab space and they can do the work of learning that type of thing with that expert in the community. And then they don't also have to be stifled by me who as a teacher knows some chemistry, of course, but not that level. I mean, they've been doing chemistry for 20 years and use that, those very high techniques, you know, very technical techniques. That's an analog to the church, which is Jesus said the kingdom of God's like leaven. That means you, the church doesn't need to own the dough. Mm. Like we don't, have to, we don't have to recreate the structures of society within the church building in order to bring the kingdom. But that's the process that often happens in the school space and it often happens in the church space where you try to replicate all of the cultures and all of the structures, all the armatures of society inside the four walls of the church building. And that's a very, first of all, expensive and second of all, long drawn out process. And third of all, it can become irrelevant to those that won't come onto that property. But instead, what you can do is you create the, you create the, you, the leaven is put into the dough and causes all of culture to rise up. And so... I think that that's the idea of salt too. People often say salt isn't so helpful in the salt shaker. It needs to be put onto something in order to have its effect and light shouldn't be hidden underneath a bushel, you know? So I think that there's really, there's really something about that where you said this before, actually very plainly, you said, we don't need to get that coffee shop owner to come make a coffee, make his coffee shop in a church space, just like we don't need the artist to necessarily stand on stage on Sunday to paint during worship. Uh, That's fine. But that artist has a calling over here. Let's keep that over there. That's when the kingdom's advancing is when the yeast is actually going into the dough. Mm. Yeah, so good. And, and a lot of times the people that are in those spaces, they're alone. So it's like, let's give mm-hmm. them the support that they need. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, um, this is, we're going to close out the first part of our conversation here. I, I want to talk about, I do still want to talk about deconstruction. I want to talk about education um, but I also, if you're o- open to it, you had shared with me, uh, your courtroom experience. Um, oh, I- I'd like to hear yeah. about that. Um, yeah. that encounter experience, prophetic thing, um, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, but we will get to that in the second part of this conversation. Um, how, how can people follow you? How can they, they keep up with what you're doing or find your book? Yeah, great. Uh, three ways. First of all, the books on Amazon. And um, just, you know, so you can see it's called The Surrendered Will, written with my friend Danny Ortiz, The Surrendered Will, Danny Ortiz, Peter DeWitt. Um, So that's on Amazon, uh, print and Kindle. I think it's also Barnes & Noble and all other places books are sold too, if I've got all my settings right (laughs) as a self-publisher. Also, my friends um, Chris Bassett and Mark Crawford uh, and I have a platform called insightnow.co, insightnow.co, and we do four um, weekly we host sort of our platform for different weekly kingdom live streams um, 
One's called The Homemade Family. Another one's about, you know, just kingdom thoughts. And another one's kind of an apostolic prophetic perspective of what God's doing in this season. Um, and then there's a short series that's going on right now called Life of a Seer that's uh, been getting sort of rave reviews um, talking about what does it look like to live as a seer and some great encouragement coming there with our friend Malvina uh, and Mark. And then finally, also our church is agathos.org and all my messages are up there, A-G-A-T-H-O-S.org. So those would be three ways to get in touch. Awesome. And you're in Columbus, Ohio. So anybody in Columbus, Ohio who yeah. wants to come see you in person or come come check out the church, you can do that. That'd be great. Awesome. Well, when we get back, we will uh, dive into education, deconstruction, uh, a little bit more of the structure of, of Peter's church because um, they're doing some things that are a little bit different. Uh, and I especially want you guys to hear this uh, courtroom encounter experience he had because it's really profound. Uh, so until next time, this has been the Fire Podcast. Did you love this episode of the Fire Podcast? I certainly hope you did. I personally want to ask you to please like and follow all of our social media. Follow and subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app, on the Spotify app, and then leave us reviews. Leaving us reviews on those podcasts helps us out so much, more than most people understand. And also share this podcast with your friends. You know somebody who needs to hear this. It might be your pastor. It might be a friend who's who's struggling with their faith or has something different in their hearts. And then lastly, please support what we're doing. You can go to firemovement.com slash support. There you can give a one-time or monthly gift. You can also uh, use Venmo, and it's at Fire Movement, or Cash App, which is dollar sign Fire Movement. And your support helps us to grow this podcast and continue what we're doing. And as always, we are on all of the podcast platforms. So Apple, Google, Anchor, Spotify, and many more, as well as YouTube. So if, if you prefer to watch video, you can watch a video on Spotify or you can watch video on YouTube. And you can also listen on Facebook on mobile. So uh, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for being in this with us. And uh, let's continue to grow this podcast.